Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning we do every show. If you're new here, we talk about horror culture and horror things which could involve sensitive subjects such as child abuse, rape, F-bombs, murder, of course. Well, not of course, but so- sometimes. But, um... Yeah, that's that's the trigger warning. So uh, if that's not your cup of tea, go listen to something boring. Otherwise, welcome to the show. Coming up in the future, uh, we're going to be interviewing actress and producers Julianne Prescott and Pollyanna McIntosh, as well as author Robert P. Atone. But today we have with us Miss Paula D. Ash, author of such works as We Are Here to Hurt Each Other and The Mother of All Monsters. I love those titles and covers. <laughs> welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it. This is awesome. Uh, before we get into the meat of the interview, do you want to go ahead and tell us what, we're cur- what you're currently working on? Yeah. So I just had a story um, picked up for an anthology called This World Belongs to Us. Um, it's from From Beyond Press. The pre-order is available, and uh, I think the book actually comes out in May. The subtitle is This World Belongs to Us, uh, an anthology of horror stories about bugs. There's some stuff from me. There's, uh, let's see, who else is in this? Kellen Patrick Burke, uh, Laurel Hightowers, Cynthia Paleo, B. Castro. The proofs are available um, now, but like I said, the pre-orders are also available currently. um, And the book comes out in May. My story is really messed up, which, though... (laughs) Like, if you read my work, like, that's not a surprise, right? Like, that's probably to be expected. Yeah, that's part of the course. And then um, the next thing I'm working on is I'm going to have, uh, I'm one of three featured writers for the Book of Queer Saints Volume 2. The Book of Queer Saints Volume 1 came out last year, I believe. Um, And so we are currently doing the Kickstarter for Volume 2. Now, I wasn't in Volume 1. I was just a very happy recipient of that book. I was a very happy uh, backer of the first volume. And then the the second volume, because of the demand for the first one, uh, Mae Murray is coming out with the second volume. And I was asked, along with Sam Richards and uh, Allison Rumfit to be three of the featured writers. And so we're in the Kickstarter progress uh, or process right now. So yeah, so that's some of the stuff I'm working on right now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, before I forget also for listeners, if you are on discord, please join us on discord. There's a link to that on uh, the horror makes us happy webpage. Uh, we also have joined Twitter or not Twitter, Twitch, but that's kind of on hiatus for the moment for reasons I won't bother going into right now. Also, there's merch on the page. You can buy us coffee or become a Patreon supporter. Those are all links on the page. So in this interview, we ask sort of three sets of questions covering your childhood, teenage years, and adulthood to find out what it is about horror that you like, and then maybe ask some follow-up questions covering your entire life after that. But starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Mm. Um, so I was raised in a pretty religious household. Mm-hmm. and. I remember very early on the thing that scared me 
to death was the book of revelation ah, we had a lot that's the good part right right um <laughs> except if you're like four and you think it's real um so you're okay, four yeah, or five. yeah yeah like my yeah. memory of it is you know it was it was really cool and metal because i was like yes. 14 when i read it but yeah four sure. is, yes uh, it's a little early for that a little early for you know the the moon being red as blood and the night as black as that like the sun being as black as that that's a uh, that's a little much for a kid um so i was <laughs> i was afraid you're their target audience (laughs) (laughs) which is true though so that's what makes me worse Um, yeah um so the so that was a big part of my uh childhood was um the, the church i went to i guess would be there was a lot of anxiety about there was anxiety in the world just in general like i grew up during the satanic panic and that didn't you know help that was also large part triggered by that so there was a lot of uh paranoia and anxiety and acting out i would say i'm a big fan of metal but at the time when i was a kid we would do like what do they call it we would like break records like we would step on them to get the demons out that sounds insane because it is but that is what like that's the kind of church i went to so there was a lot of like fear of pop culture in a way like a lot of anxiety about popular culture and i know this is going to a way deeper place than probably intended um at the same time though to light it up a bit um i really loved stuff that was scary even though the book of revelation scared the crap out of me I was, I remember seeing the trailer for the first Nightmare on Elm Street and I was five and I begged my mom to let me watch it. And so mm-hmm. I begged and begged and begged and finally she relented with the, the compromise was I could watch it, but I had to cover, I had to cover my face with a blanket when there was mm-hmm. a scary part. Oh, she's thorough. Now just cover your eyes with your hands because I know you'll peek through the fingers. Exactly. Right. So I had to use a blanket. I had to use a blanket. It was a very itchy, hot, scratchy blanket. And I remember, um, I know this blanket. I'm picturing this blanket in white right now. <laughs> Is it orange? Do you get one that was knitted so you can see through the knit? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just oh, no, no. one of the thick wool ones. Yes. Like, yep. yep. Yeah. There's no. Yep. I mean, it's it's it's. There's no peering through anything. It's just no. thick and it's hot and you can't see anything. And so I always saw, of course, you know, a Nightmare on Elm Street is not. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's a nightmarish film that's really scary. So I didn't see much of it, but the bits and pieces that I did see uh, was enough that I had nightmares about Freddy Krueger for years. Um, To this day, if I get really stressed out, like the way I can, like my barometer of how stressed out I am is if I'm particularly stressed out, I will still have anxiety nightmares about Freddy Krueger, even though I'm not wow. actively scared day. of him. To this day, I'm, I'll be 42 at the beginning of May. So I'm not actively scared. Like I'm not scared of Freddy Krueger anymore. Cause I just, you know, like he's not real, yeah. but that is, that made such a, yeah, it's like, it's become the avatar. Yeah, in your it's of become, fear and stress. Yes. Which, you know, I think in, in some ways is, you know, what he was intended to be. Yes. So mission accomplished. So, yeah. Right. right. Like, well done. Well done. So yeah, those are the two big ones. The the church and and Freddy Krueger were the two. That's a good pairing. So, given your background, did you participate in Halloween? Sometimes. So it was weird. I think so. Initially, I recall being very young, and I remember you know you would get because this was the eighties, and you have those really 
cheap costumes with the plastic mask and the, mm-hmm. the string that goes back behind your head. Um, and I remember going to the fire station to make sure there was no razor blades <laughs> and the candy and okay. um, or whatever, like drugs. <laughs> that was just, I don't, that was just the, the neighborhood I lived in. Um, the 80s were just simpler times, you know? It, 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 in some ways, yes. Um, and I remember like that was fun. I did trick or treating, but I think I think some things happened where we went to it. We switched churches or something, and we got into that more like evangelical kind of vibe. And so Halloween became off limits. And so then I wasn't allowed to. So I didn't celebrate Halloween. I don't think I was allowed to celebrate. I don't. Th- I didn't celebrate it at all. And and I'm at the point now where like I never know what to dress up as for Halloween because I just don't have that association of like how like Halloween is a time to go out like well, usually what I do as an adult I celebrate with my kid I, I, my, my kid celebrates Halloween we do trunk or treating and all kinds of stuff we do trick-or-treat we hand out candy we do the whole nine but um like as an adult for me Halloween is something that I kind of see as a sacred holiday as a horror writer person mm-hmm. so that's more for me how I celebrate like I watch some scary movie, which I do all the time anyway. But <laughs> right. like, it's not really different Same. than any other night. But you watch more who? I watch right. I watch more. I I uh, I do have to. I always have to watch Carpenter's, you know, original Halloween. And uh, of course, as a tradition. As a tradition, and um, that's usually the 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 extent of it for me. So was there ever a time in real life that you were actually terrified of something? As a child. Ooh, as a child. Um. So there was a spot in my house that I thought was haunted as a kid when I was growing up. But it wasn't the house itself. It was just a spot in the house. There was a wall at the bottom of the stairs. I don't know what it was. I, I, to this day, I have no idea why, but there was just a spot in the wall that, and I say haunted because that's the best approximation of what I can describe, but it was just like, there was something wrong with that spot in the wall. Now, I don't know if there's an overlap between this and watching the Twilight Zone and that episode where that little girl gets trapped in the walls. Like, I think that's like... Or maybe Freddy Krueger. And Freddy Krueger. Oh, yeah, when he melts Google. out the wall. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I don't know if all those things overlapped and that's why, but there is a, a spot at the bottom of the stairs in this wall and like I made it a point to always walk on the other side of the steps. So I would always walk on the right side of the steps um, and never the left going down because that was too close to the wall. And then coming up the stairs, it was, you know, it was the reverse. You know, it's kind of funny. So one of the things that I've always enjoyed is um, mythology and and history and stuff like that, as Mm -hmm. well as psychology. And one of my favorite authors is Joseph Campbell, who's done a lot of work on religions or mythologies all over the world. And you can break them up into different categories or groups based on the uh, development of human culture. And Hmm. before pre-agriculture, a lot of the religions in the world or mythologies valued certain places that made you feel special or, or good or bad. So there'd be like a certain grove in the forest that had this weird quality to it, or, you know, the mountaintop that you were, you know, get this view. And so there's, there is the potential that some, there's something going on that we can't describe, but 
we all maybe feel like if we're it's it's yeah. it's a similar thing to liminal spaces i think mm-hmm. 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 so there might have been some of that going on i mean it's magnets <laughs> or like yeah. i don't know like ley lines or something i don't yeah. know yeah. um yeah. The, i have to i'm gonna have to ask because i was thinking about it while i was uh coming up with well, working on this for my newsletter um i'm gonna have to ask my best friend because she stayed at my house an awful lot growing up and she i can't remember if she also i I can't remember if she avoided the wall because like you know it was actually evil or if i told her to and i did the same thing and she was just mimicking me because that's what you do when you're at somebody else's house um but i'm I'm gonna have to follow up with her and, and ask because i'm very curious now flipping that question around was there ever time in your childhood when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss um man y'all are really (laughs) hitting it hard here um yeah i mean i felt i felt a lot of peace on the front porch at my house even though the neighborhood i grew up in was not we would not consider it safe by contemporary Mm. standards. Um, but that's, it was normal, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I felt a lot of calm and peace when I was on the front porch, um, just hanging out with my family. I think I felt a lot of bliss while reading. I think, you know, those moments when you're reading something and you feel the world open up to you in ways it hadn't, that it had been closed before, um, I think those are some really what we consider what seem to be small but very formative moments that kind of carry you through more heinous stuff. Um, I think that's for a lot of people who are readers. I think that's one of the reasons you come back to it, you know, not just the intellectual curiosity, which is fantastic, obviously. But I also, at least for me, I know that's that's one of the things I cherish about reading is that it, it gives me a a place to experience a real peace that I don't often get elsewhere. I don't think looking back on some of the media that you mentioned, um, was there a specific part of the book of revelations that you thought was particularly fascinating or scary? It's all so, um, you know, it's all so bizarre and it's also, it's, it's incredibly visual. Um, it's one of the, the, the imagery in that book is just so arresting and upsetting, which I get is the point. Uh, and it's also incredibly, you know, symbolic. And depending on who you talk to, it's it's all symbolism and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think for me, the thing that it's, it's also very sensory. Um, so the thing for me is like the trumpet sounding that is always stuck in my head. And then I think there's an angel or something that has like the head of a lion and the head of a goat and the head of maybe a human or a man or something like that. I don't remember which angel, but there, there are several. And um, that kind of like monstrosity, but that's presented as like divinity. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, it's like the, the other classic angel depiction that's like uh, several rings of eyes yes. and they're on fire. Yes. Yeah. That stuff to me is that's now that stuff's really interesting. And that, I guess that's the thing that it's it as a kid, it scared me, but I think my curiosity about it overcame the fear in some ways, because that's, that's the imagery I play. I, I, I play with constantly. Um, I think it's so fascinating. 
It's interesting that you saw that stuff or read about it and thought about it being more curious and fascinating than fearful. Yeah. Like the stuff that scares me is the stuff that's about being judged. Like, like the hell stuff. Like, obviously like that's what it's supposed to do. The stuff about like, you're going to go to hell. You're a bad person. Um, Like that stuff is scary to me, but like angels with, you know, made out of, wheels for eyes and that stuff is interesting to me like it's scary but it's more interesting than scary but then the other stuff about like the i, I remember there's a there's several passages about like like the seas boiling what? red and or the seas mm-hmm. boiling and there's like it like literally rains blood and and um all like that stuff is scary but the stuff about angels interesting and that's how my brain kind of parsed that well, what so. it made me think of is there's this quote, I forget who said it, but something along the lines of when the angel of death approaches, he is terrifying, but when he arrives, he is like beautiful or something like that. That, mm. that mm. there's, and, and related to that, I, I believe in Hindu mythology, every God has two faces. There's the wrathful aspect and the, sure. and the beneficial aspect. And which one you see depends on whether or not you are ready for the gift that they're offering you. Mm-hmm. And so I I wonder if there's some relation there of you weren't afraid, you're curious and fascinated because maybe there was some element of your personality that was open to, yeah. to the experience. That that sounds about right. I mean, that's the, yeah. I mean, that's the first thing they, you know, when the angels show up, they say, be not afraid. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I'm not, but the, <laughs> this is stuff about, you know, I'm like, don't mind the piss running down my <laughs> leg. I'm not, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the, yeah, that stuff, it's, it's scary. It's terrifying, but it's also, I think anybody, it's, it's neat. You know, it's, it's cool. It's interesting. It's, I mean, anybody who tires and not to say that, at, that like, you know, at like four and five years old, I was, I was so tired of the mundane, but uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the point of any, you know, spiritual or ecstatic experience, we'll say, not necessarily religious, but any sort of, whether it's hallucinogenic, you know, whether it's because of hallucinogens or, you know, you're putting your body through the paces and experiencing some kind of transcendence. Like that's kind of the, that's the, that's the trade-off. That stuff has always been fascinating to me. Even, even when I was a kid, I, I remember reading, um, <laughs> I think in like middle school, it, no, it had to be middle school. Um, we were reading like William Blake, and I just felt a very deep affinity with William Blake um, okay. as a as a kid. And I think like it was Red Dragon, of, William Blake. Yes, yes. Okay, because he also wrote extensively about the Book of Revelations and Christian prophecy and things like that. So I, I think it's just the 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 idea of something being beyond the veil. I think that has always really intrigued me even as a kid even if I couldn't really articulate it and I think because that was the first my first kind of exposure to anything beyond kind of the mundane like my first exposure to the fantastic wasn't you know I'm I'm sure my mom read me like bedtime stories and fairy tales and stuff like that but that wasn't the stuff that sparked my imagination it was the it was the book of revelations that that got it for me um for better or for worse and what that says about me as a person i'm not sure but i, I think we might find i think we might figure it out um mm. today so, <laughs> okay. so okay. moving into teenage years um other than this God. thing about william blake what <laughs> that's, that's a good start well it sounds like it's gonna be fun yeah, right <laughs> 
what uh, what other horror media do you remember from middle school or oh, teenagers? I think as far as like media and horror, I remember watching a lot of like, so I was a teenager in the 90s. And so this was the age of like The Crow and um, uh, I remember Dark City. I watched Ooh, that was good. Mm. I watched Dark City so many times. The um, tuning. The tuning. Yeah, <laughs> <It's laughs> that right, Mr. Plate. Um, but that kind of thing. But I think for I think for for me, really, the the big kind of turning point was that in the '90s, I discovered Poppy C. Bright, uh, and uh, I also discovered Clive Barker around that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, those those are two really good sources. Two two really big sources. I and that you know just kind of led me down the path of like Caitlin R. Kiernan and Kathy Koja and. Uh, I read a lot of Skip Inspector. I discovered Splatterpunk um, and more like extreme horror. I think around that time is when I realized that I I started to kind of come into my own as like a a person who liked horror stuff and not just horror, but I also wanted it to be transgressive. I discovered a lot of Cronenberg at that time. Um, I remember watching Dead Ringers a lot more than probably. I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions. Probably any other fifteen-year-old girl. I don't know, watching Dead Ringers all that often, but that was that was me. Yeah, I just I think that was a time where, for a lot of different reasons, teenagerhood, but also like becoming aware of my sexuality and really struggling with that because that was not um, approved. Approved. Uh, that was not encouraged. Um, I didn't know anybody else who was gay or queer in any kind of capacity, really. That'd be a lot more difficult dealing with that shit in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, exactly. yes. I mean, it's, it's very widely accepted now. It's much more, I mean, much more so. It's. I mean, there's still, obviously, there's still problems for sure. But like yeah. in the 80s and 90s, I, like I said, like I didn't know anybody else who was queer. So I, so finding people like Clive Barker and... Mm-hmm. Poppy Z. Bright and Caitlin R. Kiernan was just such a relief in so many ways. So I think that was was a big part of it for me in, in that part of like discovering my sexuality and just trying to like, you know, like not lose it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of work was really was really helpful in that regard. And knowing what I know now, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I also, uh, even though this was more... I'm moving beyond high school, so we'll come back to it. But The Matrix was really, really important to me. But we'll come back to it because that's not exactly teenagers, right. teenage years. So, and I can probably take a guess where you're already going with that with the Wachowski sisters. Yes, exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Kathy Koja and John Skip because I don't know if you know this, but we've interviewed both of them. <laughs> You know, I was looking at your list and I was like, holy shit, they interviewed Kathy Koja and John Skip. Like, I literally said that because I was looking, I was like, who else there? I was like, oh, damn, like, this is, this is serious. Like, I, I have been some, some pretty prestigious uh, company here. So, you know, hopefully uh, I'm doing right by everybody. But yeah, I, I, I plan to go back and listen to those because, uh, yeah, that's what, that's yeah. what I thought you yeah. like They're that. good. Yeah. Especially John Skip. And we've reached out to Poppy and it's, it's funny. Like, I don't know if he's just, turning his back on his past or we're just ignoring us because we're we don't have a large following yet i like i don't know what's up with Mm. that but like i've tried to reach out to him three or four different uh, ways in in the the last of which was we're friends on facebook he he did add me and Mm. at one point i did reply to in a comment thread saying you know i'm not trying to hijack a 
you know, your comments, but you know, we've, we've tried to reach out to you a couple of times and I, you know, I don't want to be rude, but I just want to make sure that you're seeing the messages. And he didn't even reply to that. And at that point I like, you take, you, you, you yeah. take the hint. Yeah. 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 Subconscious cues. Yeah. 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 And so at that point, like we've, interacted on Facebook. He posts different things and I'll sometimes reply and he's mm-hmm. replied to my replies. Like there's interaction, but I, I don't know what's going on there. I, it, and I'm not asking you to answer a question, but it, it's just funny that, you know, we're, we're trying, but I don't know. what's Yeah. Up with that one. So yeah. We'll, we'll keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> bless your, and I, I don't mean this in like the Southern, you know, <laughs> yeah, way, yeah. bless your heart. Bless like, your heart. I say that genuinely because I was way right. Right. Like I was raised by, by people from the South. And so, but they mean it genuinely, like they're transplanted. Southerners it's tone of voice. It's, it's all tone of voice. So I try to like, when I say it, I don't mean it in like the, mm, right. bless your heart. You know what I mean? Like right, I try exactly. to mean it like genuinely because, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be rough. And I know for so many people, I mean, you know, Poppy Z. Bright, his his work is just foundational for so many people. It's come so. up on a, a number of our calls, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sure, especially for like if you're if you I mean for everybody, but particularly if you're a queer horror writer, like finding stuff like Lost Souls and Drawing Blood. I remember the Love in Vain books. Like, oh my god, like that was just such a that was to be that honest, so it's important. All very, it's also equally possible that he's looked into what we're doing and doesn't want to, you know, because not everybody wants to dig, you know. Sure, so, that's true. That is that's absolute. That's also also true as well. Maybe and I, you know I, he's okay with digging in his work, but doesn't want to do it in an interview. But doesn't want to do it. Yeah, that's that could be it too. That could be it too. I think a lot of people. Cause I know when, 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 when y'all reached out to me, like I was, I was, I kind of, uh, I enjoy this kind of digging, but at the same time, I, I'm not, I, I'm, like, I like this, but not, not with me. Not right. Right. right yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it's nerve, it's, it's good, but I think mm-hmm. particularly again, and I'm sure you have both, you know, experienced and, and recognize this and have had people talk about it. It's, it's, Horror does make us happy, but, but, uh, it's a journey. The, it's a, it's the why of, of why that is can be a little fraught, I think sometimes. So, yeah. And I mean, part of what we do is we try to approach things in a healthy manner. And, and I think the healthy response to that is to acknowledge that there are difficulties in life, but mm-hmm. the best you can do is do the best you can with them and try to make the best out of it that you can. And there, that in itself is a huge topic that could be a podcast of its own, but for sure it is life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go back to some of the other um, media that you mentioned. The first thing that you mentioned was the crow mm-hmm. particular scenes or themes about that, that spoke to you. I'm a really hard sell for romance stuff. Like it's just not, interesting to me mm-hmm. but there's a there's an, uh, a couple of exceptions i do care I, I will be interested in romance if it's like if it's if it's queer in some way that that gets my attention or if it's somehow deranged and very sad like that's mm-hmm. the two like if it's deranged and very sad and i'm like oh wait now i might be into the and the crow and I think it was just, I, one, it was goth. It was very goth. And I just thought that was cool. I was not allowed to be goth. Um, so I had a lot of, what's that called? Fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. and But also like where you can't do something. So you compensate. Like, yeah. Like that. Like, like um, a lot of compensation was through like watching 
the crow and then the soundtrack was amazing and that was awesome i was gonna stuff. mention that if you didn't anybody who has never heard the crow soundtrack cool. needs to go fucking check that shit out Damn. like right now like right yes, do not delay man. like stop yeah like see if you listen to this, are you, you serious never- I You've don't recall it? any of the tracks. Um, from, I know I've heard it. It's just it's been. I don't think I've watched almost the crow since I was like almost 16. every song on that on that soundtrack is a banger. It blisters. Okay. It bl- it's um it's one of the best yeah. soundtracks ever made. Like hands down. Like that, I, one of the yeah. one of the better relationships of my life was defined by that so, that's that CD and the Doors. <laughs> the <greatest hits. laughs> well, screw this podcast. I'm gonna just hop off and go listen to the crow soundtrack right now. <laughs> So I'm saying, like, if you have for somebody for for like somebody who is listening, if you've never heard the Crow soundtrack, stop what you're doing. Like, pause this. Particularly Gol- Golgotha Tenement Blues. Yes. There, oh, God. There is just something smoldering oh. about that track, and and I've looked up the other stuff that guy's done. It's an okay. Yeah, but that, that particular like, track. That was magic. That was yeah. that that Golgotha Tenement Blues is just I don't. I, mm. Anyway, so yes. <laughs> we anyway. had we've had an experience. We've had an experience today. <laughs> But that soundtrack, that movie, that tone, the tragedy of Brandon Lee, and I grew up, so this is also like kind of a weird aside. A lot of folks in the 80s were obsessed with martial arts. I was no exception. And um, I was really particularly obsessed with Bruce Lee because we watched a lot of Bruce Lee movies when I was growing up. And I grew up with a lot of cousins, a lot of, again, not to be like sexist, but I grew up with a lot of boy cousins. And so we would just basically fight each other all day. And, um, <laughs> and as, so, I, as you do. And so, um, so all of that kind of blended into making it like a really perfect movie for me. And I think it also, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I was a teenager, right? So that's like the kind of angst, uh, the angst, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the angst of it all, the love lornness, the, it you know it can't rain all the time nobody understands like that all that shit you know it just it's such a it was such a good movie to have as a teenager like i'm i am grateful that for that kind of you know for those uh, who haven't heard the soundtrack it can't rain all the time was a reference to the soundtrack which is also an amazing song on that album go ahead it is it is by jill solbiel who also wrote and saying i kissed a girl different conversation but anyway um so uh but that was such a that was it was a very formative kind of thing you mentioned something i wanted to dig into a little bit about um so you weren't into romance unless queer or deranged Mm -hmm. slash sad yeah what about the deranged slash sad part of it what did i like about that or like what was yeah what spoke to you um, I'm deranged and sad. Um, <laughs> well, deranged and sad is just by default more interesting. There's more stuff. There's more stuff. There is more stuff. There's more interesting stuff. Um, no, I mean, I think for a big, for, for my teenage years. So I, I, I developed the symptoms of depression at the age of 13. It, it, it hit like one day I was fine. And the next day there was just a cloud and it didn't lift for good 10, 15 years. Um, so I got some, you know, some appropriate meds. So I think that was part of it too, was just trying to find art, um, find media that had that, that spoke that language, you know, cause one of the things that we talk, I mean, again, this is, you know, it's 2023. We've come a long way as a culture when it comes to talking about like mental illness and, and, and mental, the stigmas around mental illness, like, um, and particularly for like, you know, myself as, um, you know, as a black person within like the black community, like we, we don't, 
talk about mental illness, really. Like, that's not a thing. And so being raised in that environment, I know every time I do, like, these interviews, I feel like I'm <laughs> talking about how terrible my family is. <laughs> like, we, they weren't, but that was just kind of like a cultural value. And there was a reason for that. But because that wasn't something that we dealt with, there was nobody to really talk to about it. It was always like, okay, if you feel really sad, you should pray about it. And it's like, well, that doesn't help me at all. But thankfully, there were, there were weird, sad, deranged movies that I could watch <laughs> instead um, and books to read. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was an isolating time. Going back to that topic, uh, Dark City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Scenes about that one, themes. It just, I, I really liked, this sounds weird to say, I really liked the way Dark City scared me. I liked, and this also for some reason just made me think of, this came a little bit later, but Lost Highway, but we'll come, we'll go back to Lost Highway a little bit. Um, kind of a similar vibe, yeah. Yeah, um, but I liked, there's a scene where, I think he's being tortured by the, I don't know what they're, what are they, do you know what they're called? Like, because I know. I do not. Like, I don't like, think they had a name scientists. for them. The scientists yeah. or something like that, or the I don't know, but I know they had like like weird names like Mr. Plate, Mr. Hat, and Mr. Book. Oh yeah. But I just remember the scenes with them. I was always I just appreciated their otherworldliness and I appreciated that they knew what was going on better than the humans did. And I thought that was really I thought that was interesting. I don't know. I, I can't really articulate that one well because i haven't seen it in a really long time but i just i remember uh it's it's one of my favorite movies and i always just love the look of it i know when i was again skipping ahead but i know when i was um in college it was a movie i would put on in the background a lot like i wasn't like i would study or do whatever and it would be on in the background like constantly because i just really liked the way it looked I saw, I think it was a video on YouTube that was really interesting that basically pointed out that it was the Matrix before the Matrix. Yes. It kind of was. Yes. kind of was. Yes, it was. Yeah. And I think that's also something that I really appreciated as well. And I think that that plays into a lot of like cosmic horror, like the mm-hmm. idea that there's something wrong, but not everybody recognizes it because that's yeah that feeling of like you know something is wrong yeah but, but nobody, nobody else does it. and nobody's gonna you know like the whole the trope there's something on the wing like there's something you can see that's wrong but nobody else can and they're not going to believe you even if you tell them because and then also what's the about like so you tell them and what ha- what changes nothing like you, there's nothing outside of like the you know like at mm-hmm. dark city you go to the end you get to shell beach it's literally the end of the world there's nothing else yeah, out right. there um so why not just play along like what's the you know i that that stuff is really really interesting to me and i don't again i don't think that was something i consciously could have articulated at the time but now certainly that's absolutely something that i think is really is, is really interesting and, and uh, um, scary, but, you know, scary in a way that like, I, you know, I, I can handle it. I can, I can, I can look at that for a while. So I don't, yeah. I, I don't remember lost highway. What was that one about? God, weird stuff. Some weird, <laughs> just, just weird, weird shit. <laughs> like it's just weird. Um, <laughs> so, this is David Lynch, wasn't it? Yes. David Lynch. Who, oh, yeah, that explains it was right this there. the one that like kind of ends with the house party? Yep. Yes. Okay. The so the thing I remember most about Lost Highway, although similar to The Crow, incredible soundtrack. That soundtrack is mm-hmm. so great. Um, th- the thing I remember about Lost Highway. Don't ask me to explain the plot. I have no idea. I cannot <laughs> explain the plot of any David Lynch 
joint. Like I just don't have. <laughs> I think everyone no struggles to, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and he himself doesn't even try he to. He doesn't so. know, and he doesn't care. Which so like right. I don't know. Like that's why I don't stress about it. But the thing that creeped me out so hard was he's at a party with Bill Pullman and who's the girl Patricia Arquette maybe in that movie I don't remember but there's a scene where he spies them at the party and he says something to Bill Pullman's character and he's like I thought you were somewhere else and he's like I am I'm there with you right now and the guy Bill Pullman kind of looks at him and it's like he's two places in one time and it it's a thing that should not be and like that's the whole like part of the vibe of Lost Highway is about like aberrations of nature where there's stuff that people can do physically and it's not supernatural or I guess we would label it as supernatural but it's like that's not a thing you can't be two places at once if no, I this may. guy can right yeah, please, you can't please, do that on television please, if I may please, please. glitch in the matrix Yes. <laughs> Boom. And we've come full circle. Boy, we're just like uncovering every single uh, source of the matrix here today, aren't we? Um, those those were Chelsea sisters. They were they were onto something for sure. Um, but yeah, the but that yeah, the glitch in the matrix. Like you're not supposed to be able to do this thing, but there it is happening. And that's what I really liked about Lost Highway. And I think I think also I, I don't know. Like like I said, I'm, I'm very. I'm, David Lynch movies are very hit or miss for me. Like my favorite David Lynch Same. movie is is Dune, which is not a popular response, yeah. um, <laughs> but it, it is, no, I, and I, I stand by it. I'm right there with you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so, in some ways, it reminds me of like like The Matrix, The Crow, Dark City, Lost Highway are all kind of like spiritual siblings in a way. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to say about dark or about lost highway. Cause honestly, I don't know so much. I mean, like I see similar themes with the matrix, but as far as like atmosphere, I would definitely say the crow dark city and lost highway have yes. more of a similar atmosphere that I don't think the matrix quite had. Nice. Yes, they've yes. got that uh, charcoal mixed with sea foam. Yes, we do love the grays and the greens in those, yeah. in those films. There's a little bit more blue, I think, in, uh, in Lost Highway. Um, in Lost Highway, yeah. A bit more blue, but yeah. So there's a whole bunch of other uh, questions that we didn't get to yet in the uh, teenage section. For example, you mentioned uh, you know the Halloween stuff. I think, did you say you started participating in teenage years or no? Yes, I did. And that was really important because the town I grew up in uh, had, I don't know if it's still around, it was the, the Neon Theater in Dayton, Ohio, and it was like an art house theater. And so they did these big Halloween celebrations every year. And so I remember um, <laughs> one year, my best friend and I were like zombie killers and we just because again this was very clearly like the late 90s early 2000s um because we just had a bunch of knives on us because this was uh, not too long after 28 days later came out i believe and so i was really into serena from that movie or selena rather so i kind of dressed like as her and my friend was like another zombie killer and like we were just like walking the streets of dayton just fully in like with various knives and nobody said anything nobody stopped yeah, it was like, like, a, we're talking actual knives here, yeah right? i like, know like real live like actual i i collect okay. knives and so we had a fair amount of them would you have stopped somebody who was walking around with real 
<laughs> I wouldn't, but I'm not a police officer. I'm just saying. I, I like, never I, thought about I would that. Love to do that's this a, stuff, but that's a good point. Like probably nobody stopped us because I had a bunch of knives. Um, but this <laughs> 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 never occurred to me. Like that's that's why. Um, so, but yeah, so nobody's was... stopping us. <laughs> um, no, you're fine. So, uh, so that was that was a big part of it, and that and that was fun. Like that was a fun kind of thing. And then we, they also did the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. And that was very important because it's, you know, obviously it's very queer and it attracted a lot of, you know, queer people. And so that was one of the first times I think where I could be not out, but Mm. not in either. And that was really important. So did you have any really scary dreams as a teen other than the Freddy Krueger? Oh my. Um, so I, okay. (laughs) Sounds so stupid when I say it out loud. Um, so I have, and uh, and I don't know where. I mean, aside from this dream, I so I had a dream once about a gigantic cloud-sized stingray in the sky, and in the dream, it was it was floating, flying. I don't know above me, and I was in the forest, and I looked up, and there was just this enormous shadow, and I look up, and there there's a fucking stingray with its stupid face, and it's just like you know, floating past me. And to this day, I am, I'm trying to get over it because I have a kid and my kid really likes to pet the stingrays at the zoo, but I hate them so much. Um, hmm. And it's because of that dream. I don't know where it came from. Like, I, How old were you when Steve Irwin died? Oh, uh-huh. uh, no, I was, I was well into adulthood. Do you remember what your emotions were in the dream? It wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> Clearly, um, like that was the thing that really bothered me. Like it wasn't supposed to be there, and 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 I did not want it to see me. That was the I did not want it to see me. I was not either. I wasn't supposed to be wherever I was, or because it wasn't supposed to be there. I didn't want it to see me. I didn't know what was going to happen if it recognized me. And I have a lot of dreams. I had a lot of dreams like that growing up, which is pretty obvious why. What do you mean? I mean, like being closeted, right? And and to be clear, my family is supportive now, but like I didn't grow up in an environment that was supportive of my sexuality and wasn't supportive of me being, you know, a lesbian. And so I think I had a lot of dreams about being found out, like dreams about being discovered, dreams about being, or nightmares about being discovered, nightmares about being like seen. Like that was a big source of anxiety. So, yeah. Sort of almost similar to like a scorpion instead, but it's a stingray. Yeah, yeah. Stingrays yeah. are creepy though. Well, they are. I don't like their faces. I know people think that. Oh, they look. They look so friendly. They're smiling. I'm like, it's not though. Like that. They don't know what a smile they just look is. Like that. That's right. I'm like, that's its face. Like you don't know what that expression means. They don't even think they have expressions. They're stingrays. Right. Anyway, it's a whole thing. <laughs> have you ever seen the stingrays that people dehydrate so that they look like like monsters or goblins? What? No. Oh God. Do, do not Google that if you have a thing about stingrays. They're uh, creepy as hell. They're dehydrated. I'm going to. Right. You know that, Chris. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Because you said it, so now I'm gonna do it. Like I'm gonna wait till we're till we're done recording, but I'm absolutely gonna look that up and be horrified. So, <laughs> was there ever a time? In- Sorry, and you're welcome. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Was there ever a time in real life that you were terrified of something as a teen? Oh, as a teenager, something I was terrified of. Um, my big struggles as a teenager was the mental health stuff 
being discovered. It was the fear of me kind of knowing who I am and being okay with it, that struggle. I, I know I was really, I also, like a lot of teenagers, I, I just was very, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do with, mm-hmm. you know, like that pressure that we put on, on teenagers to like figure out your whole life. Mm-hmm that I was, I was really scared of. And I know I sublimated a lot of that fear, I think, by doing really well in school. And so that's one of the reasons why I've always been very oriented toward school and toward like academia, because it's always been a place for me to hide that was safe. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I realize that now, but I think when I was a teenager, I didn't, it was just like, and it was also a way for me to get a lot of um, approval from my family. So that kind of helped balance what I knew to be the disapproval of other parts of my identity, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Opposite of that, was there a time in your teens when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? Yeah. The, the neon theater, the Rocky Horror picture show, um, you know, books, movies, all that stuff. That was really integral to, I think me, being comfortable, like learning how to be comfortable with who I was uh, and and just kind of, you know, finding language for like who I was and how I felt that I think those kinds of, and again, you know, like I said before, like books, movies, you know, I know I didn't mention this before, but like the, the people under the stairs is such a fantastic film for me a lot in a lot of ways because it, the area I grew up in was clearly not as bad as what is depicted in a few other stairs, but I really liked that film because I think it reminded me a lot of my, of, in some ways of my, of my childhood. So it, it wasn't as bleak as, as what's depicted there for sure, but no crazy S and M couples with the, uh, with evil dogs. I mean, that I'm aware of, you know, we never know what's going on behind closed doors, but yeah, as far as I know, no, but just the idea of like, the quote unquote inner city and like those kind of racial, like that racial separation and segregation that's very much on class lines as well. Like that was so what I grew up in. And so I was really, I've always really appreciated that film and I've always appreciated, um, was that Wes Craven? Yeah. Uh, for, for making that film that speaks to, to, to that experience because you don't often see it represented in that way. And I thought that was really cool. I actually haven't seen that movie. So enlighten me. Oh, um, so people are just stairs is a nineties horror film, um, starring Brandon Adams, I believe his name is. And it's about this young black boy who lives in the inner city and his mom has some kind of, cancer or something she has some kind of illness if she could afford health care she would be fine but she can't so the the kid's nickname is fool because his sister does tarot cards and he always gets the fool card and so he has a family friend or her, his sister's boyfriend like they rob houses and they go to rob this house in a nice neighborhood and i'm just gonna they get more than they bargained for trying to rob these people and yeah it's a it's it's a really awesome like 90s horror film it's really cool there are some people that are under the stairs yes. that might have been there for a while some of them don't have tongues yes you know. some of them don't have other parts because those parts are bad but anyway but yeah i don't want to get i don't want to give too much away but it's, it's really awesome you should you should check it out let me get a chance to see it's real good also big rames 
Yes, Ving Rhames. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I should have led with that. God. Not only Ving like Ving Rhames in like a kente cloth hat. Like that's just right? like, oh man. That's this was, was this pre pulp fiction? Like was that was that like one of his first bad guy roles? Yes, that was pre pulp fiction. I think that might have been I don't I don't know, but I think I think that was what got him into pulp fiction. I think. I I'm, I'm, maybe. maybe. You mentioned segregation. What was the angle there was it just that white people do weird shit like yes uh, i think it was also the white people and, were like uh, gentrifying the neighborhood yes. and trying to like you know move all the not white people out of it that whole angle yeah they and they're super greedy like the like the you know for again for the sake of them to just hoard it like they aren't doing anything with with their money other than just like kind of being rich and just hoarding it which is oh they were doing something with it that's what yeah. under the stairs yeah that's right well well yes um but uh <laughs> Well, yeah, that, that's a whole. Mm, that's true. You're right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. You're right. But yeah, it's it's good. It's it's really it's a very smart movie. Um, and it is smarter than you think. Like, yeah, yeah, I didn't notice a lot of these undertones watching it as a kid or an adolescent. But like, I watched it again recently as an adult, and I'm like, wow, there's a yeah, there's a lot of unspoken things in this. There's movie. a lot of stuff in that movie. There's a lot of. I mean, it's really kind of. I don't know. I found it refreshing in the sense, like it's, it's very, it's transgressive is what I'm trying to say. Like, it's a very, because you wouldn't, I don't know. I like, like a movie that would critique that kind of thing now would be very over the top. I think like it would just be very, yeah, like, yeah, just very like, look at me. I'm making commentary, but people understand it's very, no, I was going to say that would be the reaction to it though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. People would call call it woke and dismiss it. But you know, I think people in the stairs, obviously because it's before that particular pejorative came into play. Um, You brought up the word transgressive, which I'm glad you did because it reminded me I wanted to ask you about that. Earlier you had said you wanted horror to be transgressive. mm -hmm. Why? Oh, um, there's a question. Um, I think because it's easy for horror to repeat the same crap. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy. So, for example, okay, so let's talk about slashers just for a minute as an example. Okay. My academic background is in feminist theory, uh, sociology, and popular culture. And so, you know, the initial reaction to the slasher is that it was depraved, it was excessive, it was misogynist, and just kind of base. But at the same time, the the message within a lot of classic slashers is that the conventions of proper society have to be maintained or else this monster is going to get you. Right. And so, so slashers kind of serve to reiterate the status quo. This is not me picking on slashers. There are some that I like quite a lot, but I think as far as, transgressive horror goes i want something to 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 break out of that mold i I just really like that a lot of a lot of horror seems to be dealing with the the aftermath of this like okay so we had these slashers that told us if we stayed home and and you know didn't have premarital sex and you know we did everything right then our lives would be good but it turns out not so much you know for whatever reason and so i like stuff that responds to that sense of dissatisfaction and disorientation to quote Picard, you can do everything right and still lose yes yes <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. mm-hmm. I, I, so i like i like that kind of of horror i also still like slashers don't get me wrong so yeah 
you mentioned the Matrix. What else has jumped out to you as being uh, important to you in the, your adult years? I really like like slash liked anime, and okay. I really love Perfect Blue. Ah, that was the first one that came to mind. You know, we're talking about horror, and you bring up anime. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. Yep. And Perfect Blue. It's on another level. The, well, I'm sorry, I'm saying. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, it, it just kind of was everything that I wanted, and then some. I really loved uh, Aronofsky's White or Black Black Swan, White Swan. I can't remember. Black, Black Swan. Swan. I still haven't seen that. I've seen like everything else Aronofsky, but not Black Swan. That is that is definitely worth a watch. It's very similar to Perfect Blue to the extent that people were saying. Like it was a quote unquote ripoff. I don't think that's true. But anyway, um, I really loved Perfect Blue. Um, and I think it was very pivotal for me because I was watching it, I think, at a time where I was an adult and like, I, I don't know, early, mid 20s. And it's very much a movie. It's about a lot of different things. But one of the things that it's also about is the struggle to kind of own who you are and know who you are and not let other people tell you who you are. And I mm-hmm. found that to be very resonant even though it's also about, you know, being a pop idol and being stalked by a fan, which is not my experience personally. But I think it does such a great job of telling a story about, again, kind of like, it kind of reminds me of that Picard thing, like you do everything right and you still, you still lose, you still, Mm -hmm. I I found myself feeling very similarly, you know, I did everything right. Like I did everything right um, as far as like school and things like that. And, you know, I still struggled which again that's part of life right but i think for a lot of people in their young adulthood that's i think for a lot of people period that's part of like just the struggle of being alive is like okay but i did everything i was supposed to do i did everything everybody else told me i was supposed to do and i'm still either you know unhappy or i hate to put it like this but like not in a relationship at the time i was very upset about that lack in my life or, you know, I don't have any money or, you know, whatever it is, like I did what I was supposed to do and I still don't have these optimal results. And I think that for me, Perfect Blue really spoke to me as a as a young adult trying to figure out, like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? So, yeah, I mean, and then also like the horror aspect of it was just that scene where she is just kind of out of it and sitting in her very small cramped apartment saying, excuse me, who are you over and over again? Like that just, (laughs) Oh God, like that's, that's a part of so many people's early twenties. I think (laughs) it was just like trying to figure out like, what am I doing? Like, what is, what is even going on in the world? How do I fit in? Who am I supposed to be? Like, I don't know. It really, it, it really hit all the right notes for me at the time. So it's kind of interesting because at first I thought you were talking about Black Swan when you were talking about the struggle yes. to own and know yourself. And, mm-hmm. and But I think you also did say that it was a similar theme also in Perfect Blue. Is that true? Yes. That, yes. Okay. Well, going back to the Matrix, uh, I'm not so much <laughs> sure about the doing everything right and still losing, but definitely the struggling to know who you are comes up in the Matrix. Was that the thing like the main point for you from the matrix or was there something else? There's something I find very intriguing about the idea that the world isn't real, that we all live in a, mm-hmm. uh, in a simulation and like, I'm not wearing my tinfoil hat right now, but 
But I mean, we are in a simulation. But yeah, no, I, I get it. no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no tinfoil. We're not. We're, none of us are crazy. But we but are. We in are simulation. a simulation, you guys. Um, but no, I think it's. It, and I've always found that to be just a really interesting and terrifying idea. Um, I remember yeah, I watched. Yeah, exactly. When you first brought this up, I was going to say there are two schools of thought on this. People either find it interesting or terrifying. Yes. Yeah, I find it to be both um, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> um, but uh, so, but I think with like the Matrix, it was. Uh, it was just, uh, it was cool because, it, I don't know, it's again, all the stuff that I like, it, it has, you know, martial arts, there was a love story, but there's also like a bunch of people getting, you know, shot and kicked in the face. Um, and I just find that really uh, interesting. And yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot to like about a, a film that I think also one of the things that I like, like talking about all these movies, and there's one more, there's a couple more movies I need to talk about. I, I don't have, to have a whole lot of time but i need to mention hellraiser and martyrs because that's yeah anyway ah, but those are influences in your adulthood yes very much so okay. we will we will definitely okay. uh, expand on those in a okay. second um so with the I, mean, I think with the matrix again at the time period of my life it was also kind of affirming in a way that the the whole you know thomas anderson is neo like you get to define who you are there is commu- There are communities out there and people out there who think the same way you do, who see things the same way you do. I think, honestly, I know particularly for me in terms of like mental illness, like I was joking about this, but now I realize like one of the the scenes in that movie that just really hit me really hard. Like I, I think I'm, I maybe cried in the theater was when he wakes up in the ship in the Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, and Thomas and Neo says, why does my eyes hurt? Why do my eyes hurt? And Morpheus says, because you've never used them before. And mm-hmm. that always has really struck me. Like, what if all the stuff that I'm dealing with in terms of my mental health, what if it's not just because I'm damaged or I'm bad? Like, what if there really is something wrong with the world? And like, what if it's because I'm aware of, you know, these various kinds of, you know, oppression and, and, you know, exploitation and just like the world is a depressing place. Like let's, you know what I mean? Like, like Mm -hmm. we can make a pretty, some pretty solid philosophical arguments have been made toward that. There are several philosophical schools that that is their foundation. Um, So I think that was also kind of a, like a kind of liberating in a way to, to, Mm -hmm. to have a movie say like, no, there is absolutely something wrong with, this reality as we know it because we keep doing the same shit over and over again and getting the same results and and the architect was telling us and we have to do it this way because if we don't you'll fuck don't, it up we, even worse we, yeah right right <laughs> we cannot accept we cannot accept paradise like that that is the human <laughs> that is the human uh condition right there like you could have it better but you can't handle it so this is what you get like i i just i really like that i really like that yeah. If I may quote uh, Russ Cole from the first oh, season yeah. of True Detective, we all just need to walk off into oblivion <laughs> into the sunset together. You know? right. Hand in hand, <laughs> brothers and sisters. Yeah, for sure. That's that's another that's one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I love Russ Cole so much. So <laughs> what you said there about the um, you know mental health pain being because the world is really is the world is fucked up spoke to me a lot because so when I was teenager i had attempted suicide and my family did get me a little bit of counseling and it was only about maybe six months counseling Mm -hmm. the the end of the counseling session what the therapist told me you know you had a couple things to work out we've worked through them 
the ba- the bottom line of it is you're not that messed up. Your family's kind of fucked up, but they don't want to participate in therapy and there's not much else I can do for you. And you know, you just have to wait until you're 18 to move out. <laughs> and that was one of the first really liberating, you know, experiences mm-hmm. that I had in relation to that because I was just like, holy shit, you know, somebody outside the family mm-hmm. sees what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. and you mean I'm not the one that's wrong? Like Right. <laughs> That's such a huge, I remember the first time, the first time I heard this was from the best therapist I've ever had. And she basically said the same thing. She's like, Paula, there's really like nothing wrong with you per se. Just the world is a really deeply unfair place. And you just happen to be one of those people who unfortunately can't stop noticing it. Yeah. You can, you can, you can't stop noticing it and you just keep getting shit on. Like it's not your, and, and that was, yeah, I had the very, very similar experience so thank you know thank the universe or whatever for therapists who who can tell kids those things and you know help them feel better because up until that point it never occurred to me because nobody ever told me that nobody said no you know you're right the the world is fucked up and and you do just you happen to have bad luck happen to be bad luck and and you know be in these these categories that are very far outside the status quo and you know you'll be treated as such for you know however long and um that was really again like that was very liberating to hear that i'm like oh and that took a lot of the the weight off of i think a lot of the stuff i was going through at the time yeah yeah so it's it doesn't change the work that needs to be done but at least you feel like there there is some weight lifted there of it you know i'm not as fucked up as i thought i was right we're like i'm gonna be fucked up i'm not that fucked up so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hellraiser and martyrs you wanted to talk about those yeah i just i felt like it would be disingenuous to me as a person if i didn't talk about the impact that hellraiser has had on me and martyrs for that matter the actual first hellraiser movie i saw was hellraiser 3 hell on earth and the only reason why i watched it was because at the time i was really into star trek deep space nine and terry farrell who played jadzia dax was in hellraiser 3 she? Oh my God, she was she was Joey. She was Joey. Holy yes, shit! She was. There are so many people in Star Trek that, that were in horror movies. They're... I mean, you've got mm-hmm. uh, the guy who played Kirsty's dad. Yep. He was uh, what's his name? Um, Odo. Uh, no, not Odo. He, he no, was Odo. some Cardassian um, uh, diplomat. Oh yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm not gonna think of his name, but I know. I know what you're talking about. But yeah, there's a lot of but yeah. Yeah. Him. There's a lot of. Uh, horror people I, I, that thank you for that yeah. that totally just clicked to me i did not know that judzia dax was also uh in Hellraiser. yeah awesome. she was in a yeah so so that's so that, that was the only reason why i had no interest in hellraiser before <laughs> are I, you guys star trek people up in this bitch right? no, no, I mean, there's, okay. there's that but there's also it, and speaking from my own personal experience it, she was fucking hot i mean come on yes oh my god also yes that's, yes yeah, that's I, these are facts. Here's facts. this. I'm sure you're still hot. I just haven't seen a picture lately. <laughs> at, the, at the time, like that, that's just the, yeah, still hot. But like at the time I was just like, wow. So I, so, <laughs> you, you needed know, to see more. To be, I need to see more. And to be, to be fair, uh, that was one of the first same sex kisses I ever saw on screen was when Dax kissed. Oh, what was the, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, you, I'm, you know about. what I'm talking about. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let me watch Howard's of Three for reasons. And so I watched it. It was on Cinemax just to make it even better. Um, just, you know, because we're, you know, anyway. So um, I was out here. And so I, I watched Howard's of Three and I was like, and it scared the crap out of me. It scared me so bad because it was one of, there's this infamous scene. I don't know if any of you have seen Howard's of Three, but there's this infamous scene at the beginning where 
basically there's just like a like a blood a bloodbath in the club where like yep. there's just all these chains and hooks everybody's getting sliced into bits and i'd never really seen anything <laughs> at that okay. level like that level of graphic at that time and so i was like let's just jump straight in the deep yeah. end yeah i mean there's like so had you not even though you hadn't seen the, the first hellraiser did you did you not have knowledge of it I had no idea what the hell Hellraiser was. I had no, really? I was completely, wow. no, I was completely, okay. like, I had maybe, yeah, in the deep I had maybe seen, and it sounds goofy because I know, like, I had been reading Clive Barker. I had mm-hmm. been reading Clive Barker for a while at that time, but it, for whatever reason, it just never clicked in my head that, like, hey, and I think maybe I hadn't read The Hellbound Heart yet. I think, I because I think okay. at that time I was okay. still, I was still, like, just like reading and rereading the books of blood. Cause I was really into like short fiction, like short horror fiction in particular at the time. So I think I, I was just reading the books of blood. And so I didn't know that Hellbound heart even existed. So I saw Hellraiser three first and I was like, this is a lot <laughs> to deal with. And then, and it took years before I ever went back and was like, wait a minute. So that was Hellraiser three. Mm-hmm. That means there's a, two and i'm yeah, guessing a one maybe i should go look at those and then i saw hellraiser and that was it like that was that is my um that's my all-time favorite movie really it's, it's my obsession um but yeah so yeah i saw so hellraiser is just that's like the that's that's the thing for me before i, I ask about the movie uh i don't know if you noticed but we've interviewed three of the four original centipites you know i i i think i caught that too um <laughs> Cause, and that's, I mean, the thing about, okay, I'm just fangirling. I don't care. Y'all don't care. It's fine. The thing about Hellraiser is that not only, oh yeah, Nicholas Berman Vince and mm-hmm. Simon Bamford. Simon Bamford. Am I well? Oh my God. Yeah. I got no mm-hmm. backwards to that. So um, <laughs> the thing about, the thing I love about Hellraiser, the film is that it wasn't just like, okay, this is Clive Barker's movie, right? Like that's awesome. But like all the people in it, at a variety of levels from Pete Atkins to the actors to, you know, Pete Atkins who did the screenplay. Like they are all like horror fans in their own right. And many of them are also horror writers. Um, so I have all their books and, you know, like Doug Bradley wrote a book about, um, you know, behind the mask of the horror actor. And just, I, I don't know, like, that's just, I just love it so much. So, yeah, so I'll have to go back and listen to, to that for completest purposes, for sure. Going back to Hellraiser, the movie, mm-hmm. if you had to pick, pick a particular scene or theme that speaks to you. Oh, goodness. I really, I, okay, so I love everything about it, but I think for the purposes of our, our, of our discussion, I really love Julia Cotton. I love her as a character. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a female villain who was played with such glee, you know, and not in like a, I don't know, like not in a goofy way. Like, I don't know, like Claire Higgins just knocked it out of the park. And then some, and originally she was meant to be the lead Cenobite. Like she was meant to be the, the black Pope of hell. Yeah, that's right. And they had a different actress for Claire. Yeah. Well, they had a different actress for Grace Carby played the female Cenobite in the first right. one, and then in the second one it was Barbie Wilde, but 
Claire Higgins after they did the first movie they agreed with the second one and after the second one she was like I will absolutely not do any of this again <laughs> I don't know the reason why exactly I've looked in different places and I think it just wasn't her bag you know like she just kind of stumbled yeah. into like being in this horror movie these horror movies but anyway uh but I just I really love Julia Khan and I love because I just I'm intrigued by the idea of people who do really reprehensible things for love yeah and but not even that right because like I think she knows that Frank doesn't love her right and I don't know Mm -hmm. if she loves Frank but I the the working title for um (laughs) The first Hellraiser, apparently, according to legend, is what a woman wouldn't do for a good fuck or something like that. And so, I, I think I've heard that too. Yeah, that's and, that's legit. And, huh? Yeah, that's that's apparently legit. That is in the um, director's commentary because I've funny. watched it that many times. I haven't memorized, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just I think that's so cool and so interesting. Um, I, I mean, as far as like themes go, I in my own work, I do a lot of stuff about families with their secrets and people doing terrible things to their family members and stuff like that and i just think that hellraiser is at its heart it's a it's a you know it's a family saga it goes beyond that like the farther you go (laughs) into the franchise it gets farther and farther away from that idea but the first two like that's what it's all about and i just think it's really like i said like i like like if i'm going to watch a story about a family drama or a family saga then there should also be like some messed up stuff about sexuality and probably some monsters in it you know what i mean like i need those additional additional things to make it interesting for me i think okay um let's see so for adults you mentioned um carpenter's halloween is Mm -hmm. a part of your tradition yes Mm -hmm. yeah favorite you have a favorite costume that you like to wear as an adult i had so one year i dressed up as like a vampire slayer and it was basically i don't know if you ever watched like buffy the vampire like buffy yeah style? like but okay. not but so okay so if you ever watched the series buffy the vampire slayer there was a black slayer not kendra that was in the 70s who fought spike i dressed like her and that was by okay. far the best halloween costume i've ever had like i was hot like, i gotta <laughs> i just I just gotta be honest. Like I was hot, and uh, that, was, <laughs> that was the best. Um, okay. That was the best. That was the best Halloween costume because it, it was one that I very intentionally put together. Because I think one of the, I don't know, like for some people, I always struggle with like who to be for for Halloween because I don't know who I look like. If that makes any sense, like I'm all like I don't know. So I so that one was one of the few where I was like, okay. So. Next couple questions we're going to ask are going to be like overall life summary. Um, the two questions we normally give at the same time are what's your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any other? Because they could either be the same answer or a different mm-hmm. answer. As you've already mentioned Hellraiser mm-hmm. being your favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what movie have you watched more times than any other? Well, I've already mentioned that one. That is the matrix. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I've seen. Uh, so in addition to the, art house theater in my city where I grew up. We had one of those second run dollar theaters in the town where um, I, I grew up and the matrix was there. So, you know, the matrix played in 
Okay. Forever, I right? So <laughs> see, we. All right. So it's not like even watching it over and over at home. No, you got to watch it in theaters. We watched it in theaters. I saw it in the theater 22 times. Um, Holy shit. Because my friend okay. and I would get bored. My best friend and I would get bored. They kept that movie in that theater just for you. I, 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 <laughs> right. I think maybe we single handedly kept it there for months, maybe even a year, because we would literally like get bored. Like we would be bored and be like, oh, I don't, what do you want to do? I don't know. We'll see the Matrix. Okay. And like, I remember because we were also, you know, this was, we were also teenagers. Get a dollar. Yeah, we were like super poor. Yeah. So we would get like, we would get like change out of like the cup holder in her car and like go see and go see. And it was like, you know, that movie was like two hours and 30, 40 minutes. So yeah, you can't beat that. Um, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen the matrix about 21, 22 times um, because it was at the dollar theater. Every time you see it, Sorry. it was, yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, and, and it was, it, and this, Oh my God. And like, so I used to smoke and like, you used to be able to smoke in the theater and Oh God, it was, great is great right. um so before we ask the next couple questions let me give you a summary of the things that i've kind of made notes on that seem to be coming up multiple times okay so there's kind of two things one one didn't really come up very much and i am kind of surprised by because i thought we might go back to that but one of the first things that i had written down was about being open up opened to new experiences and, and you know, mm-hmm. ecstasy and seeing beyond the veil that didn't really seem to come up as much. So, so maybe that's like a, a minor, like a, if you got a major and a minor, maybe that's the minor. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that came up a lot more often was, you know, about being hidden, which we've talked about, you know, probably being related to being closeted for a mm-hmm. while, then doing everything right. And still losing that, you know, the, the mental health pain, being because the world is fucked up, not because we are mm-hmm. and how affirming that was. But then there are other, other things that, that related to affirmation as well. Things about, you know, families with secrets. You even mentioned on the thing about Halloween, how you often don't dress up with it as anybody, cause you don't know who you look like, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's lots of little things that I guess that you could tie in having to do with affirmation or representation. Mm-hmm. So, as as a summary for things that are important to you related to horror, um, do those things seem accurate, or do you think there's something else that's more accurate that we've missed? Um, hmm. I think I think that's a pretty accurate summary. I think if I had if if I had spent some time, I, mean, I, I don't necessarily think we have time to do that now, but um, martyrs is really important for me because of its relationship to pain. That's something I I really am interested in both in my work and then in the stuff that I read and the stuff that I write uh, or the stuff that I read and the stuff that I watch as well. I think the stuff about affirmations and uh, the mental health and, and pain and the world being fucked up and all that is that's, that's true. I think that's fair. Those are, that's a fair summary. I think of the stuff that makes me happy in horror, but I also, as again, I guess this comes back to the demented sad piece. Um, the, I think one of the things that also makes me happy is I really appreciate, I think this is one of the reasons why I like hereditary since we were, we were talking about, um, Aster. I really like movies that movies or books or anything in, in horror. I, I like that horror deals that deals with pain and, uh, and, in a philosophical kind of way, I think. I think that's really interesting. I think that's also very transgressive because in, you know, in our culture, 
particularly when it comes to like bodily pain, like we just want to fix it and move on and like, but at the same time, not like it's the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, I think, I, I think that would be the only thing that I would, would kind of add. Like, I, I, I like that horror says something about the nature of pain. And at some points, the nest, the, and I think kind of, this is with Hellraiser, the necessity of pain to sort of either transcend or transgress beyond like, again, the, the mundane or what's the day-to-day stuff or the fucked up world. Like you can get through it through. Wait, wait, I got something for this. It's in, it's in my horror comic. Where did it go? It's one of the tenants of the God Mel that I made up. (laughs) While you're looking for that, uh, I would say yeah. that I, I think that kind of falls under what I was saying about, you know, the mental health pain and about the world mm-hmm. really being fucked up. But I like what you say about, you know, it being tra- transgressive to actually address that, because as you say, that's that's not something the the mainstream world does very well. Yeah. The normal follow-up question would be, do you have any idea why it is that you like those things? I think that's pretty self-evident from the conversation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The next question would be why horror? Because couldn't you address some of these topics in other genres? I think you could address these things in other genres, but I think eventually it's going to it's going to be sci-fi and horror, or it's going to be black comedy, or it's going you know what I mean? Like there's something about it that's going to be horrific anyway, because that's just the nature of how we categorize pain and thinking about it is that it becomes horror already. Are there other ways to do that? Probably. But I think at least in the registers that I work in, like I, I just, I, it's interesting that it's interesting that you say this because I, because I'm thinking now about how like sometimes in my own work, I'm like, like, is this horror? Because it's not, you know, like it's not supernatural. And that's the, 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 the most obvious kind of thing that, that is equated with horror is supernatural. I don't really deal with supernatural stuff too much, at least not, and we're here to hurt each other. So sometimes I have these moments where I'm just like, is that, is that actually what I'm doing? But I'm like, I, if I had to choose anything else, like I would still choose horror. Like that, that would always be like my choice, no matter what I ended up writing. Cause I think it's expansive enough to include that. But I think, yeah, I mean, there, I, and I know that there are people who, who write about pain and the experience of pain and the, the, you know, let me the ask, value. Let me ask a related, ways. let me yeah. ask a related question. So is it maybe the kind of pain that you want to focus on? Because for example, rom-coms have certain kinds of emotional pain. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I think that is it. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's a good way to clarify. Yeah. It's a type. It's like, again, rom-com, like I don't care about people who are sad because they, I, I shouldn't say I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I sound like an asshole. Um, I mean, I do care. I've, I've, you know, I've been through that kind of pain. Um, you know, you do what you can to avoid that kind of pain um, if you can in a healthy way, I think. Um, but I it's think not that you're being insensitive to this kind of pain. It's sure. more that you want to try to focus on this other thing. On this other kind of pain. And I that's think what I'm asking yeah. is, so what's the focus on that other pain? I think the the pain that, that this, again, I can't escape Hellraiser. I feel like it's the pain that kind of opens doors. Like it's the, the pain that... that offers you insight into something else. And again, not to say that the, the pain of a breakup can't do that for some people it can in a really bad, destructive, you know, 
way. But in particular, I'm really interested in the pain that people inflict on themselves, like for whatever reason, whether it's because of a breakup or what have you. But I think that is still connected to another person. And I think what I'm interested in is like people who either are doing it for solely selfish purposes or if they're doing it like, well, I guess if, if we're talking like Hellraiser, like it's kind of like appeasement to a larger ritualistically. Yeah. Almost. Yes. Yeah. Like ritualistically okay. kind of. Uh, yeah. To appease like a, a, greater, a greater. Okay. Yeah. Greater. Especially now that you bring that up. Have you ever heard of the American guinea pig series? Mm. No. Is it supposed to be like a snuff film or something? <laughs> uh, the the original one was, and the American original one, it kind of goes along the same vibe. It's uh, Unearth Films is doing American reboots of the guinea pig films, which, yes, were Japanese snuffish films to the point where Charlie oh, Sheen thought it was okay. real. And he, he called it. He called yeah, the FBI. That's right. yeah, yeah, it was yeah. that mm-hmm. one. But the fourth installment in the series, American Guinea Pig Sacrifice, is basically about it's like an hour and a half of a guy torturing himself in a bathroom. So if you like people hurting themselves, <laughs> suffice it to say, screwdrivers go places they shouldn't oh. go. Ooh. You know what's the yeah, thing about me? That was a one and done. <laughs> right? I, 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 I will try it. I'll try it. But I'm such a, like... Putting screwdrivers places they shouldn't be. Not, not that. Um, <laughs> watching that film? <laughs> yes, watching that film. Thank not you for judging. clarifying. Not judging. <laughs> <laughs> I might try that. <laughs> no, I mean, now you think about it, maybe. Um, no, but I'm such a um, like a wuss with some stuff. Like, there's some stuff that, like, you know, like Salo. I can watch. I can watch Salo. You know, I haven't watched it over and over again, but I've watched it several times. But then, like, uh, like a Serbian film. Nope, mm. absolutely will not. I will not watch that movie. So I'm gonna try. It's it's four. It's American Guinea Pig. Yeah, uh, it's called Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Okay, it's along the lines of what we were talking about. It's like, yeah, it's probably like. The less uh, torture porn of the, not to liken it to torture porn, if Stephen Bureau ever listens to this one, um, <laughs> it's it's the less uh, graphically offensive of all of that. No, it's still pretty harsh. <laughs> I mean, um, a screwdriver thing seems pretty. I don't know how that wouldn't be offensive. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it goes along line with what we were talking about, like people inflicting pain upon themselves for a higher power. Yeah. Because that's kind of, I mean, without giving too many spoilers away, that's kind of what it's about. That just well, makes I me like, think of, uh, oh, sorry, this makes me think of, like, um, uh, Tetsuo and, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Similar to yeah. Iron Man. Yeah. yeah. I like what's that, that different Iron Man. Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like what you said about pain opening doors because you don't need to learn anything if you're not in pain. Right. Mm. Which, of course, is part of the reason why there's a lot of people who maintain their ignorance because mm-hmm. if you're, if you're, Ignorance is a place. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're, but you're, if you're enjoying it, what incentive do you have to show it to change? I mean, right. And, the, and it hurts mm-hmm. to learn. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it hurts to, you know, to, to challenge yourself. Like that is like people talk about, you know, cognitive dissonance. Like that is for some people that is actually painful. You know what I mean? Like, so the challenging of oneself, the challenging of one's kind of values, like, you know, transgressive challenging the status quo, like for a lot of people, that is a, if not a pain, and certainly a discomfort that they're not willing to engage in. And I think. So let me ask you something. Yeah. Is therapy self-inflicted pain? Mm, sometimes. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Some, That's a loaded question. I think I, if you do it right, it you know, I, I, think, I think it is. Yeah. I think sometimes it is. I mean, I think, like I'll just say, I've had therapists who have not challenged me, who have not 
who have not made me, you know, hurt in that certain way. And I felt like it was a waste of my time, you know, like, my money back. like I, this you're, not was, hurting me enough. you're not hurting me enough, which again says a lot about me as a person, which I understand that's the point. But, um, but no, I mean, I feel like it, to an extent you have to get through that pain, right? Like you have to, like you were talking earlier about like the purpose, like of this show and, and like horror makes us happy and looking at like ah, the stuff that's uncomfortable. Now we come back to beyond the veil. Yeah. So that's, I mean, you have to push through some of that stuff to get to whether it's acceptance or apotheosis, you know, like you, you gotta go through some stuff and it's going to hurt. But if you can make it through that pain, that discomfort, there is something worthwhile on the other side. And so, yeah, I think you're right. That is the thing that's beyond the veil. So, or the pain on the way to, yeah. Like you're going to have, I mean, you, it's, it's a, you know, a sacrifice means to come back to American guinea pig. A sacrifice means to make sacred. How do you make something sacred? Mm. Your pain. I've never made that connection. With yeah. The word. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's a it's your pain. So, I just quickly Googled something because I wanted to make sure I was pronouncing it right. But now I'm actually kind of upset because the result that I got is not what I thought I was, what I was expecting. <laughs> Did you sell your search history? No. Uh, well, what I was going to give her is she mentioned apotheosis. I was going to give her an antidromia, which my previous uh, understanding of that word was that it's, are you familiar with the song 46 and two by tool? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the song is about crawling, coming to the shadow, trying to come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. My understanding was that in enter Dromeo was the ex- being on the other side, mm-hmm. which apotheosis is kind of similar to what's in 46 and two. So I was going to give that word. However, now that I'm reading some more about that word it looks like maybe that's only part of the the description maybe there's more to it but i'll leave that as the exercise to the listener <laughs> to your okay. research yeah, that, that, that is your home. How yeah. do you, how, how, can you say it for me again like how do you spell it interjomia enantiodromia en enantiodromia e-n-a-n-t-i-o-dromia can i hear it in a second <laughs> fuck off <laughs> <laughs> it's not a fucking spelling me. Uh, all right, so <laughs> last question. Uh, is there anything you've thought of that might be relevant that hasn't come up on the call? Maybe something you thought of earlier that we bypassed? Oh, not really. I'm just, I'm fascinated. First of all, I, 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 I'm, I just appreciate the fact that I can have a conversation with people and be like, and they're like, have you heard of 46 and two by tool? And I'm like, yes. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, we just talked about the crow for an hour. Like, yes, of course I have. So yeah, yeah that's just, yeah. uh, that song nice. got me through probably one Ooh. of the hardest times of my life. I, that. Yes. Know, yep. I mean, on the topic of, you know, Mm-hmm. finding or being in pain and, and, you know, working through it and coming out on the other side that so much of their catalog, particularly their early catalog um, has gotten me through a lot of, of stuff. Um, 46 and two was a big one. Um, and uh, Oh, what's the, I mean, the whole lateralis album was just the patient that was, mm, yeah. So yeah. 
that's that's a whole different conversation about like music and, <laughs> and all that. Oh yeah, so, for sure. But the Tool Podcast. There we go. There you yeah. go. Okay. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you joining <laughs> us today. It's been a great yeah. time. It's been fun. Been a good one. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. And thank you to anybody out there listening. Again, please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. Um, we're still in growth mode, so the best thing you can do to help us, uh, other than you know being a Patreon supporter or something like that, is just tell a friend. <laughs>